Hello, everyone. I am John Allen, the editor of Crux. This is Last Week in the Church, the show rigorously, faithfully, relentlessly devoted to bringing you news about the Vatican and the Catholic Church you already know and that has already happened. Now, if you are watching the show in the United States today, I want to wish you a very happy Labor Day. Uh, however, uh, I am in Italy. That's not a holiday here, so I am marking in this day by, well, you know, laboring. Uh, and speaking of Italy, uh, Italians like to talk about the Maledizione di Settembre, the September curse. Uh, basically, the idea is every Italian takes their summer vacation in August. Often it's the entire month. It can take some time to shake off the doldrums of that vacation period. Uh, and meanwhile, real life cranks back up in September. Things have a tendency to go wrong. Uh, and it is fair to ask, I think, whether Pope Francis and his Vatican team in the early days have been suffering from that September curse. Because over the last week, we have seen four different episodes that have raised eyebrows, caused tongues to wag, and begged the question of whether or not the Pope uh, and his squad are just maybe a little out of sync. So we begin this week with the Pope confusing Angela Merkel and Vladimir Putin. Then Francis gets into hot water with Jews, uh, a film that manufactured a papal soundbite gets a Vatican red carpet, and finally, the Pope takes a sort of gratuitous swipe at his soon-to-be Hungarian host. All that and more is waiting for you on the other side, so please stick around. All right, we begin this week with the Pope apparently not being entirely clear about the difference between German Chancellor Angela Merkel and Russian President Vladimir Putin. Uh, the, the big Vatican news of the past few days was that Pope Francis gave a major interview to the Spanish broadcaster COPE. Now, COPE uh, is owned by the Spanish Bishops' Conference, but it's a major broadcaster in Spain. I mean, it's, a, it's like sort of NPR uh, in Spain. It's a, it's a network that lots of Spaniards would listen to for the morning news in their cars on the way to work, for instance. So it's a big deal. Uh, in fact, at one point, a former COPE broadcaster from Rome was the deputy spokesperson of the Vatican, Paloma Garcia. And uh, so uh, the news that Pope Francis was giving this interview to COPE in itself came with a kind of, I don't know, a stamp of significance. It was like those old E.F. Hutton commercials in the States. People listen. Uh, and it was a wide-ranging interview in which Pope Francis tackled a number of subjects from uh, the, the situation in Afghanistan, in which he was uh, critical, though indirectly so, uh, of the American handling of the situation, saying that it was clear that all the eventualities of a withdrawal had not been taken into account. I think that's probably something everyone could agree on. Uh, he talked about his own health, uh, revealing for the first time that his recent bout with colon surgery was maybe a little bit more serious uh, than people had thought, saying that it was a nurse in the Roman uh, Gemelli Hospital who had saved his life. The second time, he said, a nurse had saved his life. 
uh, also dismissed speculation about a papal resignation, saying every time the Pope is sick, uh, the winds or even a hurricane of talk uh, about a conclave uh, are let loose. Uh, he discussed the Latin Mass, saying that Benedict XVI's gesture of opening it up was one of exquisite humanity, but it didn't work out as it planned. It became an ideological thing, and so he had to shut it down, uh, and on and on. Uh, but the truth of it is, relatively little of that uh, made headlines around the world. Instead, uh, it was his comments about Angela Merkel of Germany. Uh, the Pope praised Merkel at some length as someone of great wisdom, great insight, a kind of formidable leader who should be taken seriously. But he introduced all of that by quoting Merkel uh, to the effect uh, that it is a mistake to try to introduce Western models of democracy on other countries. It is irresponsible and that it leads to destabilization. Now, so far so good. The problem is the actual quote that Francis cited is not from Angela Merkel. Uh, it is from Russian President Vladimir Putin, who I think most people would probably say uh, is not exactly one of the leading exponents of democracy, at least in the Western sense of the word, on the global stage. Uh, now, in and of itself, you could say, come on. I mean, this is, this is really no big deal. Uh, you know, who among us hasn't at one point or another gotten a quote wrong, right? Uh, we think something is Wordsworth and it actually turns out to be Emerson or you know, uh, we think something was Shakespeare that actually turned out to be Keats, or I mean, who knows, right? Uh, and so from a certain point of view, you could say no harm, no foul. The only problem here uh, is that Francis was extolling the virtues of Angela Merkel, again, at some length uh, in this interview. And it is slightly embarrassing to find out that the Pope doesn't even actually know, apparently, what Angela Merkel said or didn't say. Um, now, uh, in isolation, that probably means nothing. But we have to take it in tandem with a couple of other things uh, that unfolded during the same period of time. So let's shift to our second item uh, in this week's rundown, which is Francis gets into hot water with Jews. So on August 11th, Pope Francis held his normal Wednesday general audience. And as popes do during the general audience, he was reflecting on a passage from scripture. This particular scripture passage, it talked about the Torah, the Jewish law, and Christ's message, and so on. Now, uh, what Pope Francis said during the course of this general audience uh, is that the Torah, does not give life, it is incapable of giving life, and those who seek life need to find the fulfillment that comes in Christ. Now, you could say that's a relatively standard Christian message, except that uh, it's the kind of thing that officially, at least, the Catholic Church has rejected since the Second Vatican Council uh, in its effort to promote reconciliation with Jews and the Jewish community. Uh, and in fact, many Jewish groups have complained that what Pope Francis said was a kind of resurrection 
of what has been known as the Christian teaching of contempt for Jews over the centuries, suggesting that Jewish law, Jewish faith is superannuated, it's obsolete, uh, and it's only because of a stubborn unwillingness uh, to accept Christ that Jews have held out, and that in turn then can justify all kinds of awful things that uh, periodically have been done to Jews over the centuries by people who claim to be Christians. Uh, the protest began on August 25th with a joint declaration from the Joint Rabbinical Council uh, in Jerusalem, in Israel, representing both the Sephardic and the Ashkenazi traditions in Judaism. Uh, it was then amplified by similar statements and similar protests from various American Jewish groups. Uh, and then finally, this week, uh, the chief rabbi of Rome, Rabbi Ricardo de Seigny, added his voice to the chorus, uh, saying that the kind of language the Pope used is the basis of what he called hostile divisions uh, over the centuries between Christians and Jews, and he expressed the hope that Pope Francis will show greater sensitivity uh, in the future. Now, you know, the great irony uh, of all of this is that from the beginning, Pope Francis has been big uh, on outreach to Jews. Uh, you know, one of his best friends, as we all know, is Rabbi Abraham Skorka from Buenos Aires in Argentina. The Pope actually took Skorka and a Muslim friend of his on his trip to the Holy Land. Skorka and Francis did a book together uh, when they were still in Argentina. Uh, Pope Francis has repeatedly uh, expressed his desire for better relations with Jews. Yet it is striking that the kinds of steps forward in language that occurred under John Paul II and Benedict XVI, I mean, you remember John Paul's famous line when he was asked if the Jewish law continued to be valid, if the election of the Jews by God continued to be valid. John Paul famously said, God does not change his mind, right? I mean, both John Paul had been, and Benedict had rejected the kind of language uh, that Francis occasionally does still employ. I mean, you could also think about the way in which Francis uses the Pharisees, right, uh, as his kind of public enemy number one, right, uh, as a symbol of the kind of fussy, legalistic, ritualistic religion in touch, out of touch with real life that he doesn't like. I mean, that's also considered insulting by many Jews who consider themselves the modern-day successors uh, of the Pharisees. Uh, so it raises the question of why that continues to be the case and, and why a pope who is so obviously committed to deeper reconciliation uh, with Jews and Judaism continues to traffic uh, in this sort of rhetoric. I, I'm not, I, I don't have an obvious answer to that question, uh, but it sort of stands as a question that has been raised once again this week. All right, let's move on to the third item on the countdown, which is the, the, the documentary about Pope Francis, which one year ago became a cause celeb all around the Catholic world because the producer and director of this documentary had manufactured a papal soundbite on civil unions for gay couples uh, is now today, later today, even as we speak, folks, later today uh, going to be screened in the Vatican in a special event for migrants and refugees. 
Uh, the Vatican has, the, under Pope Francis, the Vatican has this custom of creating these kind of five-star VIP events, but instead of inviting the movers and shakers, right, the titans of the earth, rich people, uh, they invite migrants and refugees, and it's a kind of the last shall be first thing, right? And so they're doing that again today. But what they are doing today is they are screening a documentary uh, called Francesco by a Russian filmmaker uh, named Eugene Avinivsky. Uh, this documentary came out last year, uh, initially to much acclaim, because Avinivsky said that he had had exclusive access to Pope Francis, recorded all of these exclusive interviews, and while the film does celebrate Francis's efforts on behalf of migrants and refugees and climate change and a number of other things, uh, it also has a clear focus on the Pope's outreach to the gay community. Now, Ivanivsky himself uh, is openly gay. He is a, an activist uh, on behalf of gay rights. Uh, and the thing from the film that really made headlines around the world when it came out was this line from Pope Francis in which he says that gay people have a right to a family. They can't be kicked out from a family and that there needs to be a legal recognition of that right to a family. Uh, and, and headlines around the world proclaim that Pope Francis had boldly just come out in favor of civil unions for gay couples. Now, however, then the intrepid Vatican press corps began to peel back the onion. And what became clear is that what Avinivsky had actually done is that he had taken snippets, not of his own FaceTime with Pope Francis, but of a previous interview with Pope Francis done by a Mexican journalist. And he had stitched different parts of that interview together, covering over the editing with a cutaway during the film, in order to create a soundbite that Pope Francis had never actually spoken. Now, this caused tremendous scandal. Uh, as it was playing out, uh, the Vatican's communications department put out an internal memo ordering its personnel not to comment. Uh, the Vatican Secretary of State eventually released a kind of anodyne statement saying uh, it's under review. Shortly thereafter, the Vatican's Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith put out a uh, directive to bishops around the world saying Catholics cannot bless same-sex unions. And so it was all kind of left as a mess. Uh, now, what needs to be said uh, is that neither Pope Francis nor any of his advisors ever directly condemned the film. They, they did not make any efforts to distance themselves from the impression that was created by the film. And of course, the choice to screen this film in a kind of red carpet setting uh, in the Vatican is, in a sense, a way of saying, look, we may not like exactly the way this filmmaker went about packaging what the Pope had to say, but on the whole, neither are we unhappy with the impression that was left. Because the thing of it is, if the Pope, if his closest Vatican allies did not want the impression that Pope Francis backs civil unions, they have tools at their disposal to make that clear. The fact that they not only have not employed those tools, 
but are now wrapping this film in a kind of warm, loving embrace, uh, I think can only leave one with the impression that they're okay with it. it. It is, though, a little weird, right? Like, if the Pope wants to come out in favor of civil unions for same-sex couples, I mean, the question is, why doesn't he just do that? Why this weird business of, like, a Russian documentarian none of us had ever heard of before getting this, like, unique access to the Pope, then, like, concocting a soundbite uh, and, and putting it out there that, you know, nobody disowns. Like, it's a very weird way, I think, uh, of going about making a point. Uh, but... You know, this is the 21st century, uh, and the weird is just the new normal, right? So maybe this is how people communicate in this era. I don't know. Okay, final thing on this week's countdown. The Pope takes a seemingly gratuitous swipe uh, at the politician who was soon to be his host in Hungary. So next Sunday, Pope Francis leaves for a three-and-a-half-day swing in Hungary and then Slovakia. Basically, he's going to be in Hungary for one day. He's going there to celebrate a mass for a Eucharistic Congress uh, unfolding in Hungary. And then he's off for a state visit to Slovakia. Now, his, his host, obviously, in Hungary, uh, well, let me back up and say that whenever the Pope takes a trip, a foreign trip, he has two hosts, okay? There's the local church, sure, but there's also the government. Uh, of the country he's visiting. So on the government side, his host will be the head of government, uh, and that is Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban. Now, the thing of it is, Orban and Francis are not exactly kissing cousins, okay? In fact, if you were to ask the question, what is the kind of politician right now that just gets under Pope Francis's skin, that just, you know, that, that just drives him nuts? Pretty much, you would come up with the profile of Viktor Orban. Uh, he is a right-wing, nationalist, populist, anti-immigrant, uh, defender of traditional identity, anti-gay, like, <laughs> you know, pretty much everything uh, that we all know uh, Pope Francis doesn't approve of. Uh, now, you know, but popes go onto hostile territory all the time, right? I mean, probably half of the papal trips in history have taken a, play, have taken a pope someplace with politicians, uh, you know, with whom they had their differences. Uh, and usually the idea is to paper over these things gracefully because everybody wants the trip to go well. Nobody wants the trip to be derailed by some kind of political spat, right? That's usually how it works. However, in that Cope interview I told you about before, where the Pope confused Merkel and Putin, uh, he was also asked uh, about his upcoming trip to Hungary, uh, and he was asked directly if, uh, if he's going to meet Prime Minister Orban. Now, the Pope's answer was very interesting. Uh, he said, oh, you know, uh, I don't know, he said. Uh, I know there's going to be a meeting with authorities of the country, but I'm not sure who's coming. Really? <laughs> because uh, when the trip to Hungary was announced, uh, there was all kinds of speculation uh, about a meeting between Orban and Francis. It would obviously be dramatic. 
Uh, and so therefore, this was subject to excruciating, intense, detailed negotiations between the Hungarian government and the Vatican. It was eventually agreed that there would not be a private meeting with Orban, but Orban and the Hungarian president and some other Hungarian officials would have a kind of collective session with Pope Francis when he arrived. Now, as I say, nobody in the Hungarian government and nobody in the Vatican, I mean, I'm talking about the guy who opens the mail for the Secretary of State in the morning in the Vatican. They all knew where things stood uh, in terms of how this meeting was going to work. So the idea that the Pope has not been briefed on that, that he genuinely doesn't know, frankly, doesn't pass the smell test. It's just, it's a little silly. So in context, the only way to take this uh, is that Pope Francis simply didn't want to acknowledge uh, that he was going to have any FaceTime with Orban, uh, because then he would have to talk about, you know, the nature of that meeting, and that might not lead any place good. Uh, this was taken in, both by the Hungarian press and the Italian press as a deliberate swipe by the Pope uh, at the Hungarian prime minister. In fact, one Italian newspaper headlined their coverage the Pope's low blow uh, against Hungary's Orban. Now, uh, you know, maybe what's happening right now uh, is that Vatican diplomats and their Hungarian counterparts are, you know, smoothing this over so that when next Sunday rolls around, it will all be sweetness and light. We will see. Uh, but, you know, the record uh, of Orban is that he is not one to suffer insights or perceived insults gladly. And so it's going to be very interesting uh, to see what he has to say to the Pope next Sunday, what the Pope has to say to them, uh, to, to, the, to Orban, uh, the body language between the two men, and so on. All I can tell you uh, is that this just is not business as usual. Uh, and that raises, I guess, the main takeaway for this week's show, which is Pope Francis just isn't a business-as-usual pope. A business-as-usual pope. If he was going to praise a particular global leader, such as Angela Merkel, would have consulted his diplomats beforehand, they would have Googled the line the pope wanted to quote and realized it wasn't from Merkel, it was from Putin, and would have advised him thusly. A pope who wanted to talk about the relationship between Judaism and Christianity, between the Torah and Christ, would have consulted his experts on Catholic-Jewish relations, who would have advised him to avoid anything that would seem reminiscent uh, of the teaching of contempt, what theologians call supersessionism, uh, and would have briefed him on the kinds of language uh, that would have been appropriate to make the same point. A pope who was getting ready to take a foreign trip someplace uh, and was going to comment uh, on the head of government of that place, again, would have consulted his diplomats who would have told him not to do this. Uh, and uh, a pope whose team was going to host the screening of a film that had generated massive controversy just a few months ago uh, probably would have been advised uh, to say something uh, about that before announcing the event. Uh, in order to head off potential misunderstandings. But look, this is just not how Francis rolls. Francis is a pope who calls his own shots, 
He does not convene spin doctors in media war rooms before he wades into something. Uh, and he often doesn't spend a lot of time worrying about the potential consequences of something he is going to say or do if he perceives it to be genuine and true. Now, many people find that part of this Pope's charm. He's not a corporate brand. He's not a figurehead. He is his own man, and when he talks, it is Jorge Mario Bergoglio speaking and not some Borg-like Vatican collective. Uh, on the other hand, uh, many people also find this maddening uh, because Pope Francis will often say or do things that cause all kinds of heartache and difficulty uh, that you could say were unnecessary, needless. Uh, what are we to make of this? Look, folks, at the end of the day, the thing of it is, Francis is who he is. And the one thing, the one consolation, uh, I think we can probably take from all of this, uh, is that the church believes that a particular man is elected pope to bring his vision, his style, his imprint, to the life of the church in his time, not to simply regurgitate what has gone before, not simply to channel some kind of corporate agenda, but to bring himself and his, his experience, his way of seeing things, to how the church operates. Uh, and if that is the standard, there is no question. That is what Pope Francis has done from the beginning. And whether this is the September curse or the Pope just hitting his stride, I see no reason to believe it is going to change anytime soon. All right, that is our show for this week. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for spending part of your Monday with us. We will be back here next Monday to regurgitate ourselves stuff that has already happened because that is our metier here on Last Week of the Church. In the meantime, you can find full coverage of all these stories on the Crux site. That is cruxnow.com, cruxnow.com. If you like what you were seeing on this show, which you really ought to, I mean, come on, then go on to the social media platform of your choice. Give us a like, give us a thumbs up, give us a retweet, whatever. We definitely appreciate it. Over the next week, I urge you, stay safe, stay healthy, have a fantastic and blessed week, and we will talk to you again soon.